Hannah Staver, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends when you go out this weekend. Welcome back to another episode of Ohio Politics Explained, the Larry Takes the Stand edition. This week, we're explaining what former Speaker Larry Householder had to say in his defense, whether you might be eligible for an income tax refund for 2020, what's happened in the months since a Norfolk Southern train derailed in East Palestine, and why the governor might soon be in charge of public education. And this week, we have someone new joining me at the microphone. Normally, we have another reporter, and together we tell you what all sides think about the issues. But this week, we have one of those perspectives here in studio. It's Liz Walters, the chairperson of Ohio's Democratic Party. And welcome to the show. Thanks, Anna. It's great to be here with you. Yeah. And before we get started, I just want to address the elephant or the bullfrog in the room. I uh, got a lovely case of strep throat from my children. I am all better, but I still sound uh, a little hoarse. So if my voice cracks like a prepubescent boy. No, that's just because I'm getting over a cold. (laughs) The joys of tiny humans. But our first topic is the reason we were all refreshing Twitter on Wednesday and Thursday. Former House Speaker Larry Householder. He's been accused of taking millions of dollars in bribes to pass a bailout for two nuclear power plants. And this week, he told his side of the story to a jury down in Cincinnati. According to our reporters who were in the courthouse, Larry turned on his folksy Appalachian farmer charm and told the jury that the prosecution got the whole story wrong. He says he didn't control Generation Now, that dark money group that funneled all the alleged bribe money. He didn't retaliate against lawmakers, and he didn't know who paid for his hotel room for the Trump inauguration. Liz, I'm sure you've been following it as well. What do you make of Larry's days on the stand? Well, I'll tell you, Anna, I think no matter what the accent he adopted is, a criminal is still a criminal no matter how they say it. I think what we're seeing through this trial is just how deep the kind of strategy went to raise money from uh, sources that would essentially amounted to a massive $60 million bribe. And then how deep that runs in the Republican Party. I know the the investigation to this point has really focused in on uh, Larry Householder and Matt Borges. But as the trial played out, the other thing that was really illuminating for me was just how many big name Republicans across the state entered into the mix through this trial, whether it was you know, Frank LaRose or Dave Yost, everyone somehow intersected with this investigation. And I think it's uh, in addition to what I hope will be justice for the perpetrators of this essentially huge act of theft against Ohio utility ratepayers. Also, a really illuminating point for voters to consider as most of these elected officials are going to be asking for new jobs from them in 2024. Possibly not Larry, though. He may be <laughs> in federal prison if convicted. Um, he faces up to 20 years. But so I want to ask. So there was this question of this hotel room, right? That when the, during the Trump inauguration, prosecutors said that First Energy paid for it. But he said, oh, I thought the Ohio Republican Party picked up my tab for that. And Assistant U.S. Attorney Emily Gladfelter sort of looked at him and said, you didn't know who bought, paid for your hotel room? Do you think, did you buy it? Do you think jurors are going to buy that? Well, I mean, is there a difference between the ORP and First Energy? That's the better question. Oh, I can't answer that. <laughs> Our second topic is the train derailment in East Palestine. Mm. Friday marks one month since a Norfolk Southern train crashed just outside the village's limits, causing a chemical spill that contaminated the surrounding air, water, and soil. The EPA says it's removed tons of contaminated dirt, and they continue to monitor both the air and water, but folks have, you know, still some concerns about the long-term health effects, and they're not the only ones. Ohio Senate held its first hearing on the derailment, and its chair, Senator Michael Rooley, said this is not going to be an easy fix. I think that's one area where, like, Republican and Democrats agree. 
Yeah, completely. I think like so many Ohioans, we're all heartbroken and we really, our hearts go out to the residents of East Palestine and all of Columbiana County, really. Um, no one should have to wonder if their drinking water is safe, if their farms are going to be sustainable, if, if their schools are safe to go back to. And I think one of the things we're seeing in this moment is just how much Ohioans care about their neighbors and how much we've really tried to rally around the folks in that community, no matter what our party identification is. Just yesterday, Senator Brown led a bipartisan, introduced a bipartisan bill that included Senator Vance that would help uh, to make sure that tragedies like this don't happen again. And more importantly, that Norfolk Southern is held accountable and that any uh, company that, that has something like this happen is held accountable to the to the people that it affects. So, you know, I think what we know for sure is that for years, CEOs and these corporate companies have let profits take precedent over safety in people. And so, as we move forward, it's really important is that the expense of the cleanup and that the expense of what families had to go through to, to get through this time doesn't fall on the residents of East Palestine. It is the corporations and the folks that uh, that perpetrated this that are held accountable. Yeah. So even like, uh, you know, the, the fire department there is talking about having to replace all its gear because of exposure. And, you know, I was talking to state lawmakers who said, yeah, we can float them some money to do that. But ultimately, they think Norfolk Southern is responsible for that cost. That's exactly right. And I think what you're going to see as you've always seen from Senator Brown, is the leadership to hold corporate entities accountable. And he's already hard at work. He's been on calls with Norfolk Southern. He's been very direct with them about what his expectations are, their responsibility to the people of Ohio and in East Palestine. But he's going to follow that up with everything he does in the Senate. And, you know, taking it back to state lawmakers, I'm going to sneak in a little subtopic here. I'm going to surprise <laughs> you on that. The transportation budget that passed yesterday, there was a bipartisan effort to put some train safety in there. Mm. Now there's a question about whether we can mandate the size of crews on trains and whether that'll ultimately be federal government. But, you know, I was talking to Rep. Bride Rose Sweeney, who said that it was really important just to stake out a claim that, like, this is how Ohio would like to see that law change. I think that's right. And I think the reality is here, this is about safety. This is about people's lives. And it's not a problem that's unique to Ohio. I think it was less than two weeks later, there was another derailment in Detroit. There's been uh, two or three derailments uh, in the last two months. So I think this is something that's on a lot of leaders' minds across the country. And I'm proud to see leaders in Ohio, particularly uh, folks from the Democratic Caucus, taking, taking a lead on ensuring folks' safety. So our third topic is taxes, municipal income taxes to be specific. This week, Ohio's Supreme Court heard oral arguments on a case challenging their legality during the pandemic. It's a little wonky, but here's the deal. There are two ways you pay municipal income taxes. Generally, you either live in a city or you work in that city. So like me, I live in Delaware and work in Columbus. Mm -hmm. So I pay taxes to two different cities. And before the pandemic, I could ask Columbus for a refund for all the days I worked from home. But when the pandemic hit and every non-essential worker was sent home by the governor, cities like Columbus started to panic that their budgets were going to crater because everybody was suddenly working from home. So state lawmakers stepped in. They said during the shutdown that cities could continue collecting if the business was based there, not if the people were based there. And some folks took that, some conservatives took that as taxation without representation. So they filed a lawsuit and it was in front of the state Supreme Court this week. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not going to ask you to predict how the court is going to vote on this. That's <laughs> good, like I'm a not ter- a lawyer. <laughs> no, good. I always think reading uh, judicial tea leaves is a terrible, terrible idea. But I did want to ask, you know, this, this opens up a larger question for me. You know, the pandemic furthered work from home or hybrid mm-hmm. work. Is it time to maybe revisit how cities raise money? 
Well, I think the other underlying question here, right, this is not a a bomb that's gone off in this moment. It was a fuse that was lit by Republicans many years ago. Um, The bigger issue here is that the state legislature has continued to gut support for cities and state government fund uh, support of local cities. And these are funds that support critical services like police officers, like firefighters, like road repair in our libraries. And ultimately, those cuts went to provide further tax breaks and refunds to millionaires and billionaires, not to working folks, not to support those services we all rely on. Um, We're cutting those taxes on the backs of working people, right? Which is, and this is just another issue that's further inflaming that. I think at the end of the day, state house Republicans always say they're for local control, but the proof is in their actions, not in their words. So I think as we move forward, what this really calls the state legislature to do and Republican leaders to do is build a tax system in Ohio that is fair, that grows the economy from the middle out and not from the top down. But instead, really what we're seeing is that GOP lawmakers in Ohio are continuing to promote bigger and bigger tax cuts for the wealthy and the well-connected, but really selling out working people and leaving them to fight their battles through the Ohio Supreme Court. And if you're wondering whether you would be eligible for this, so like, let's say the court decides that you know, you are entitled to a refund for this time period. You're probably going to have to file with your local city. It's not like I'm just going to magically get a check from Columbus <laughs> when this is all over. And I will say, like, that can be a little bit of a complicated process. It sounds like the legislature might actually have to decide how we determine where we were working because, like, I don't remember where I was working every day of 2020. Now, for some of you, if your office was closed the entire year, that's really easy. Mm -hmm. You know where you were working. But for like somebody like me, who is sometimes in Columbus, sometimes at home, like it's going to get a little tricky. Oh, boy. It'll be interesting. (laughs) That's for sure. Where were you on a Tuesday three years ago? (laughs) Like, I mean, that's like a a hard question. Our fourth and final topic is public education, Mm -hmm. a a move to change who controls Ohio's Department of Education uh, took another step forward this week. So the Senate voted 26 to 7, which is a party line vote. Uh, to pass a bill that would take control over curricula from the partially elected State Board of Education and give it to a new cabinet position in Governor Mike DeWine's office. Republicans say the change would make the department more nimble and better prepare Ohio's children for the future. But Democrats Mm. said the move would make education policy even more political and potentially cut some of the access that parents have to the process. So I assume you come down on the side of the Democrats who oppose this, but what are your thoughts? So I think there's two really big things here, right? Which is, and kind of getting back to that taxes question of, Ohio has had an unconstitutional school funding problem for decades. It's not a secret. It's been ruled unconstitutional by the Supreme Court. We've had some attempts to remedy that, and there's been some changes. But ultimately, the act of making Ohio schools better is still within the purview of the legislature to do by making the the school funding model just and fair in the state. That's the first piece of this. And I think to some extent continues to be something that we kick down the road because it is a challenge and politically difficult. And I think the Republican legislature should and could tackle this issue you head on. But I think, bar, you know, barring that accomplished, barring that being accomplished with the state school board change, uh, it is a political solution in search of a problem. The timing of this is always what I find interesting. And to have Democratic elected school board members who were the Democrats that won the majority on the non-appointed seats and within a week after that, have them introduce this bill, Uh, suspect at best, outrageous at worst in terms of their political motivation. I think that ultimately, at the end of the day, if we want parents to be involved in school choice in school decisions as they should be, which is what we think that this these decisions about schools, about school boards belong to parents, teachers and 
local leaders, then we have to respect parents' decision. And they made their choices clear in the voting booth when they selected these members of the state school board. They are not involved in selecting the bureaucrat that they are trying to move this decision-making to. And so I think if we're going to be true to the to the will of parents, we have to respect the choices they make in the voting booth to elect state school board members. And this flies in the face of that. And normally I give you one more thing before you go, but this week I'm turning that honor over to Liz. So tell me, what is the one more thing people need to know? I just wanted to take a minute and encourage listeners, uh, if they're able, to donate to an organization in East Palestine that's helping with families and communities on the ground. So uh, we've, right after the train enrollment happened, like a lot of other folks, all of us at Ohio Dems HQ were thinking, what can we do that's helpful, that's not a political act, but a a real act of help here in this community in the moment of need? Uh, And so we uh, identified an organization called the Bright Side Project, which is a nonprofit in Columbiana County that has set up an emergency relief fund for the families of East Palestine, you can go to their website, which is www.brightsideprojectohio.org to give to the relief fund. Or you can find their Amazon wish list where they have things like food and school supplies and other things that families need right now in order to help support uh, the recovery in East Palestine. Oh, that's cool. An Amazon wish list. Like I hadn't considered that, but it makes a lot of sense. It's an easy way to get people like exactly what they're looking for. Yeah. And to, for, for you, if you're giving, right, those all of our dollars are precious in these times. And so to know that you're purchasing the thing, right, instead of kind of putting money into, into a fund and not knowing where it's going, you can really understand what you're helping to support. Ohio Politics Explained is brought to you by the USA Today Network Ohio Bureau. You can find us on Twitter at Ohio Explained. And if you want to learn more about any of the topics we covered, check us out online at any of the newspapers in our network, like IndieOnline.com. That's I-N-D-E online.com. 